Welcome, welcome, welcome to Thirst for Knowledge Podcast, episode 40, History of Beer, part five. I'm James Evers. I'm Justin. And I'm Seth Tardiff. And today on the episode, we're covering the timeline of the 1800s to the 1920s. Yeah, we're talking a lot of stuff in this one, guys. A lot of beer history happened during this time, from Oktoberfest to uh, a lot of new brewing technologies and styles that were invented, crazy science and, and all that jazz. So um, we'll keep it brief in the intro here uh, so we can get onto this sweet episode. So join us as we go down the rabbit hole and discuss succulent steam beers, bohemian beverages, and Cistercian cervezas on the history of beer. We're doing history of beer part five today. Pork boy. We are. And we are covering the time period 1800 to 1920. 1800, right before Prohibition. Right before fucking goddamn. So um, this episode will be a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of science and things that are being developed and mm. happening. 120 years, right? Oh, yeah. 1800 to 1920. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on, man. A lot yeah. of stuff going on. But we'll get to that shortly. After That's electricity. Yeah. A lot of cool gadgets came out. Yeah. A lot of cool electrical gadgets. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do our featured beer, and then we're going to get to all those cool gadgets. What are you guys drinking? What are we drinking? What are we drinking, Seth? <clears throat> so we are drinking <laughs> Vest Flaterin 12. All right? And I know how to pronounce that properly because I looked up a video of oh, some guy <laughs> saying it, so yes. I would know how to say it because I've totally said it wrong. Oh yeah, what is it again? Vestflaterin twelve. Vestflaterin twelve. Yes, I and always said like Westlevian. West, West Lettering. West, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, it starts with a W. It starts with a W. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, shit. Um, this beer, some people call it Westy Twelve for short. Uh, at least I've heard people say that in the states, but. <clears throat> it is a Trappist beer, and it was during this time that uh, that we're covering today, where Trappist breweries were first coming um, coming up. Now we had talked previously about monastic brewing and all that stuff, and that's where Trappist breweries like get their um, their roots in. But it wasn't actually until this time that these breweries that you know fall under the Trappist you know title, yeah, and and the actual like the the big ones like um uh saint sixtus monastery which brews the vestfletter and stuff and um you know a, a lot of the other ones like chime and uh west mail uh just probably pronounced vest mail i don't right. know <laughs> yeah um the best mail yeah so a lot of i know when i was first getting into craft beer uh Belgian beers and, and Trappist beers were a big thing. And you can you can get a lot of them in specialty craft beer stores in the United States, but you cannot get Vestflaterin, sorry, um, because you can only get that beer at the brewery. Damn. In Belgium. Yeah. And where is it? It's in Belgium. Yeah. So this beer can only be bought so, from the brewery in belgium yes 
Yeah. Ooh, and we're drinking it today. We're drinking it today. Damn. Yeah. What? Yeah. Good luck trying to get this beer, because you ain't touching it. Cheers. Cheers. Yep. Yeah. And so this one that we're drinking is from 2015. And now I've had I've had this beer a handful of times. Um, and this is the oldest one that I've had. Um, Ooh, the other times, good. every time I've had them, they've been like, I've been like, all right, I just need to drink it like right now. <laughs> and they were good, but just taking the sip from this one, it's actually aged really well. So this is a 12 year old. No, what is no. it? Why say 12? What's the 12 in it? That's, that's just the name of the beer. The name yeah. of the beer. So they, they current, so, um, uh, back in 1831, Monks from the Mont de Cats Monastery founded St. Sixtus Monastery, in, and they are the ones that produce this beer. All right, and they started brewing in 1838. Currently, there are 26 monks that live at the abbey, five run the brewery, and then they get additional help during like packaging and stuff from the monks. Um, and then there's also like a few secular workers that do some manual labor there. <clears throat> but um, they, they, they currently brew three beers. One of them's a blonde, one of them is eight, and one of them is 12. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so they're just the, they're the names of the beers. And I, right. I didn't really see anything on – I'm wondering if that was like just the order of the recipes or something like that or there's some significance to the numbers. I, I'm not really sure. That would be cool if anybody has inf any information on that. But yeah, right in the reviews, guys. Let's, yeah. let's hear it. <laughs> yeah. Hedge douche, let us know, man. Yeah, exactly. So this is from Berlin? No. This Where is, is this? No, Belgium. Belgium. Yes. Belgium. From yeah. the brewery itself. Yeah, so I can't remember where I got this specific bottle from. I want to say it was from Willie. I think it was from Willie. Of when he, when he Willie Quintana. So, Episode 11. <laughs> Check it out. Check out Willie, our boy. Yep. He's a travel <clears throat> travel connoisseur. Exactly. Um, but there was uh, one or a couple instances where you could actually get this beer outside of Belgium. And um, back in 2011, they distributed – this is – so let me back up. Um, the only time the beer has been distributed legally outside of the country of origin was in 2011 and 2012 when they were trying to raise money to make renovations to the monastery. Ah. So I, when <clears throat> back in 2012 was the first U.S. commercial release and they released 90,000 bottles to the U.S. and they were all in these like gift packs. Right. Yeah. So um, at that time, I had had a friend who had bought one of those gift packs and it was also around the time where KBS used to be kind of hard to get. And I had had a couple of bottles of KBS that year. So I traded KBS for, um, the Westy 12. Uh, that was the first time I ever tried that beer. Let's just say you made out on that deal. Yeah. Yeah. Because now, I mean, you can get KBS everywhere. <laughs> right. like it's, it's, it's super easy to get. It's still a great beer. Um, at, uh, but at the time I was like, yeah, I have to, because I have no clue, like, unless I go to the brewery. Right. Uh, there was another time that I tried it where, uh, one of my old coworkers actually went there and he brought back some 
and shared, um, I think he had some of the eight and some of the 12. I don't, th- I'm not, I can't, I don't think he had any of the blonde, but <clears throat> very good stuff. God damn. I love a good Trappist beer, man. Yeah. Yeah. This beer's Oh my God. It's solid. Um, so I got some fun facts about them while we're on the topic. Sure. And this was interesting because I hadn't really looked up much about them before. I just knew that, you know, um, this beer got a lot of hype and, you know, I tried it and I was like, yeah, it's, it's a solid beer. Like, obviously, you know, travel halfway around the world for it. Is there anything like that good? I don't know. Maybe, maybe to some people, but it's, it's, it's a really, a really good beer. So during World War One and World War Two. They were the only Trappist brewery to retain their copper brewing equipment as the other Trappist breweries had their copper requisitioned by German occupied forces. Oh. Yeah. So I'm wondering, and I, I imagine that at this point they probably had, they probably have new brewing equipment, you know, cause that was like a while ago. Right. <laughs> you right. know, World War One, World War Two. But that was kind of neat, fun fact. And also, during that same time period, they stopped the sale of beer to wholesalers and only stole people that visit the Abbey. And that's still the model that they have today. And I was actually looking up just last year, they have an online ordering service. So before that, they you would have to like um, you'd have to call or you you know whatever, and then put in your order, and then they only limit so many cases per person per month because they're really about trying to get the beer to as many people like as possible that want, and not selling it to people that might own a store and then resell it. Like they're very. Right. Something that I saw was that the only time that they like respond because they're world renowned, like this beer has been like voted best beer in the world uh, multiple times by several different publications. And um, the only time that they talk about like that, they release statements about the beer. Like they, they don't really acknowledge that, you know, Oh, we're the best stuff. They basically just say, Hey, stop reselling our beer. Like, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. And now do they only, do they only produce enough to sustain the monastery? Yes. And that's actually a big thing about Trappist breweries. That's like one of the criteria for being right. a Trappist brewery is that you're not doing this for, for a profit. You are a business, but that profit goes back to maintaining the brewery and maintaining the monastery. Now, what religion do they practice? Um I didn't look too deep in that, but it actually, the whole Trappist thing goes back to this like certain order of, and I, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like Cisterone monks or something. I'll have to, I could dig deeper uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the QC for that. But there's this whole order of monks that was started and it was started in France by some guy like La Trappe or something or something like that. And that's where the name Trappist comes from. Um <clears throat> But uh, so I was curious about like how much they produce, right? Because right. you wonder like, oh, how much, you know, um, and they produce 475 kiloliters a year. So how does that translate to, um, you know, bottles Kilo or whatever? Thousand liters, right? Yeah. So it's the equivalent of 60,000 cases. Cases. 20, not too, that's not that much. That's right? 24 beers. So that's about. A million and a half bottles. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> but a million and a half bottles sounds like a lot, 
But if you convert that to like American like units of barrels, that's like 4,000 barrels a year, okay. which really isn't it's that like much small, beer. That's like a small microbrewery. That's like a microbrewery. And that's like a, yeah, like a smaller, maybe like getting a little bit bigger. That's not quite a production brewery in America. Like the brewery that I work for, um, we, we produce about like 10,000-ish barrels and they did about four thousand and they do about four thousand you know and like we have distribution in grocery stores and all that kind of stuff like there's you know there's a it's only mostly available in the state of new hampshire so it's not it's not huge but i mean this this is a world-renowned beer like in right you know that they they only produce four thousand and it's only three beers that they're making wow and here's the crazy thing They've produced that same amount of beer since 1946. What? So yeah. they're not trying to like no, upscale. They're and not grow. trying to they're upscale just, at all. They're just trying to do what they're supposed to do. They haven't even adjusted for like inflation. And no, no. They're just they're just producing the same amount that they produce since. It's 1946. still three pennies a case. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they. Yeah, the price has obviously you know been adjusted over time. Um, man, that's good though. I already drank it all. Good for them, man. They yeah. they fucking honor that craft like i know you've said this before but i agree man if if i like if i lose everything if i lose my job i'm just fucking liquidating all my assets and i'm just gonna go be a fucking trappist monk somewhere so here's a quote from father abbott uh we are not brewers we are monks we brew beer to be able to afford being monks <laughs> yeah <wow. laughs> yeah yeah, so that's you know that's a little bit on on it's those caramely. guys. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's I mean it's pretty smooth for a little over ten percent though. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, I didn't <laughs> ask you what ten percent. Per- I didn't ask you the percentage, mm-hmm. but oh, yeah, man. no, it's I could drink that. It's it tastes like it tastes like candy. It, it's not hot at all. Like oh no, not no at all. boozy not at all. heat to it. it. Is yeah, nope. it's sweet. It yeah. is a little sweet. It's but... not overly sweet, but it does have some sweetness to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's yeah. just, that's that's good. Yeah. Man. All right, so should we start, you know, cruising through our chronological time here? Oh yeah. yeah we, it's going we down. Pull up my notes. Yeah. All right. So when I first started digging into this, um I was kind of trying to go in chronological order as much as possible and then I ended up doing something similar to like the our last episode. Uh, you know, part four, where I broke it up into like major events that happened and then notable brands and then um, uh, notable beer styles. Okay. Because there's like all those notable beer styles and brands that are happening all throughout. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of them. So we'll kind we'll touch on some of them as we go through the, the, the timeline here. Um, but like, yeah, we'll 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 mention those once we get towards the end. So the first thing that I had was in 1810, uh, Oktoberfest is started. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was my first note. So it was started by Munich breweries as a celebration of the wedding of Prince Ludwig the First of Bavaria and Therese Charlotte Louise of Saxe Hildburghausen. <laughs> <laughs> And that wedding happened on October 12th. So currently, Oktoberfest is a 16 to 18 day festival held uh, from late September to early October. And they approximate over 6 million guests every year. 
It's the largest folk festival in the world. And in 2013, they served over 66,000 barrels of beer. Wow. So they served a lot. They served over like 12 times as much beer that, you know, the monks over there at uh, St. Sixtus make in a year. Damn. In one day or a week or what in, is it? in 16 the to 18 days. Of the That's how long it is. Yeah. Oktoberfest. It's 16 to 18 days and they served over 66,000 barrels of wow. beer. Yeah. That's a lot. People are getting sloshed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Drink as much as you can. Ham, do you have anything else to add on, uh, on the craziness that is Oktoberfest? No, no, no. I just had a, I just made a note that like, Hey, this was the, That's when, when it was it established. Started. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the stuff that happens during this time period is like related to brewing. This is like the beginning of brewing science. The oh, beginning yeah. to like this is like real mod. Like this is when modern brewing practices were founded. Um, and it all kind of I know it all kind of like picked up. The last thing we we talked about in uh, the history of beer part four was we sort of left off on like the 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 use of thermometers and hydrometers in the brewing process yep. science yeah exactly yeah um and then so in 1817 uh a drum roasters were invented mm-hmm. um i don't know if you've had that in your notes or anything but what those were used for with was to help roast out malts to kind of further enhance those uh the flavors of like stouts and porters and things like that oh cool yeah so um, I also had a note that was related to uh, malt and grain at, that happened a year later, which was the um, invention of, and, and I'm not sure if this is the same, um, this same process, but it's basically indirect hot air kilning of malted grain. And it was introduced to replace direct smoke kilning. Mm. And what that allowed for was to help eliminate some off flavors and allow pale malt to be produced more reliably. So rather than, you know, getting like, the, you know, smokiness is like something. I, I imagine that a lot of beers back in the day had a little hint of smokiness to Hell them, yeah. you know, because sure. of the methods that were used. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, how do you boil water back then? Yeah. It's all through fire, right? Yeah. So, I mean, everything probably tastes like a goddamn ashtray. <laughs> Every beer was ashtrays. Right. Yeah. Everybody was like just used to Roush beers, basically. Yeah. So, um, we so now that there's a trend that I noticed that, that throughout a lot of these inventions um, that happened during this time, and it has a a lot to do with like how we got to why there's so many loggers produced, right? And and you'll see that as we go through these inventions. But um, speaking of loggers, in 1830, the Rothschild family. Shout out to all my conspiracy theory guys out there. <laughs> um, they invested in a lager brewery in Cologne, Germany, but it failed because of a lack of the refrigeration that's needed to reliably produce lager beers, mm. and it was converted to a sugar factory. <sighs> so, dude, maybe the Rothschilds are actually like con- in control AB InBev now. I don't know, man. You know they are. <laughs> oh, and yeah. they run sugar. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they run sugar. They created diabetes. Isn't and they it? own the diabetes medication you need. <laughs> insulin. They own they own sugar and insulin. Dude, I saw that and they I was like, diabetes, son. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, the Rothschilds are involved in this? Like, of course the Rothschilds are. are involved in everything. Yeah, it's crazy. 
That's so ridiculous. That they... How many hearts does that guy need? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Um, so, freaking Rothschilds, man. But um, this, this next tidbit that I found is like for real. This is for my real beer, beer nerds, okay? So in 1834, Marston's Brewery is founded in Burton-upon-Trent, okay? And chemist C.W. Vincent discovered one of the reasons for the great taste of Burton beers is because of the sulfite, the sulfate content of their water, which causes breweries in other places to start adding magnesium sulfate to reproduce the Trent water profile. So this is where you're starting to get into water chemistry, water chemistry in your Ooh. beer. And even to this day, you will hear brewers reference the, you know, the Burton water basically. And it's very popular, or at least initially it was gaining a lot of popular in the IPA style and in specifically like um, English style IPAs and then what would become West Coast IPAs. And not really so much in New England IPAs. It's kind of that that water profile has moved in a completely different direction. But um, yeah, that's fucking doesn't cool. doesn't it traces prof- that far back exactly. I yeah, know, right. And that's true. I knew about like the Burton water profile and all that stuff, and I knew it came from somewhere, but I didn't realize that it was that old. Like I thought it was just like, oh, that's just something that they've been doing in England. Like it was just this. They knew this place had good water, and now people try and replicate it. And now that's something that happens to this day where you're, when you're in a brewery and you're brewing different beers, you will find out like certain, you know, salt additions and things to make to your water and you'll get your water profile tested and then modify that to accentuate certain things in different styles that you're trying to make. Is that how you do like a mouthfeel is through the water? Part of that. Yeah. 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 If it's like soft or hard or. Mm -hmm. And it can help like accentuate hops or it can help, you know, kind of smooth things out and, you know. So when a brewery gets their water tested, obviously they're pulling from like the local tap water or whatever. It varies depending upon, you know, the place. Okay. So if, if they get the profile done and it's like, it's lacking in, I don't know, like, like calcium and fucking magnesium or something. Does that shit get added into, um, like after the fact, like when you're when you're sort of starting your boils? Do you add in a certain amount of like magnesium, calcium, any yeah, of those minerals? Yeah. So two of the popular ones are gypsum and um, you know calcium chloride. Okay. And those will get and those can get added either or in the um, in the mash or in the boil and like there's certain reasons why you would add in the mash like to try and like give yourself a little bit of a ph adjustment as well i know at the homebrew level like i use um this uh program like it's a spreadsheet program that this guy uh mark Bruingard made who's like a water specialist guy who's also like a home brewer and you can basically put if you get your water tested or if you use distilled water or reverse osmosis water which is basically giving you a clean slate right you can upload that water profile into his spreadsheet and then you can like look at oh what's the what's the burton water profile i want to adjust it to that and you've got all your um ratios and then you can tweak and see like all right if i had a little bit of calcium chloride if i had some gypsum and then what? i had a little bit of this and a little bit of that and now you tell me about i this. have my water profile yeah cool and then there's a obviously there's a lot of information on the 
internet where you can go and see like, oh, like what's the best water profile for a milk stout? And then like people will give you like their different ratios and then you can, you know, upload them in here and, and see what you need to do. There's a, there's a good rapper out there who does, um, like the most ballerous products and he tries out the most ballerous products. And there's an episode where he tries out canned air. Well, there's a baller ass canned air that they, they blow the air through a filter of diamonds and then you can breathe that diamond air. <laughs> Do you guys also practice that study where you let the water go through a, a pile of diamonds? See, the the thing that I do is actually a little more complex than that. I extract the carbon from the diamonds. I turn that into carbon dioxide, and that's how I carbon. It makes a lot of sense. Exactly, yeah. My beer's carved with diamonds? (laughs) This is diamond beer, baby. Exactly. It makes your pee twinkle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, that's pretty fucking cool, man. Yeah. 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 It's a science, man. It's a science. Yeah, making dude. the most tastiest drink. It it, it really is, man. Um, so the next big thing that I've got here is 1837. German physiologist Theodor Schwann discovered that yeast cells are a living organism and named them Saccharomyces, which translates to sugar fungus. Mm. That's a pretty. That's a pretty good. Uh explanation of what they are yeah they're sugar fungus yeah exactly (laughs) um and his his work would later be confirmed and expanded upon by louis pastor louis yeah now that's going to be important coming up that's going to be a huge that is huge i mean huge i didn't like i knew louis pastor like he's got a bunch of shit named after him like he is one of the most famous scientists like I think there's a hall on UMass, uh, UMass Lowell campus named after uh, Pasteur. I think there's a hall at like every <laughs> freaking college campus right. that's named after hey, Pasteur. Hey, your stuff. It'll kill the germies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if he named all the processes and like things like after himself on oh, purpose totally or if did. it was other people that were like, oh, he invented it. So we'll name it after him. <laughs> Pasteurization. So, um, other inventions that are happening right around the same time, and there was a lot of information on this, so I'm just going to kind of briefly summarize it, but basically from 1834 to 1890, and there was a series of scientists from all around the world, American, Australian, French, English, that were developing the first refrigeration in ice machines. Yes, yes. And they were being, a lot of them were being installed in breweries at this time. And it basically leads to the ability for the mass production and better quality control of your beer. And very specifically, like we were talking about earlier with the Rothschild failure, had that been, you know, 50, 60 years later, they could have actually had better lager beer, right? Imagine that drinking Rothschild light. Imagine, dude. We already do. It's called tap water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the um, they the, own, the fluoride they in the own tap water, water on this planet. <laughs> all the water. Yeah, I know. Uh, like Anheuser Busch, they were they, at a certain point. They became the like the the biggest like distributor uh, for America because they were able to. Um, come up with a way of like insulating rail cars um, with like ice and shit mm-hmm. and then sort of like using ice tunnels to fucking keep the beer cold so they okay. can distribute it across like America. That's, That's pretty crazy. cool. 
yeah. keeping the beer cold. Yeah. That's the, yeah, that's one, the main mission, right? One thing that you'll notice about these breweries that get really big and like and they have teams of scientists that are working to figure out all these best practices that are like being sure. developed, you know? And as much as we like to, you know, hate on big beer and all that stuff, there's been a lot of major like discoveries breakthroughs. and breakthroughs that were funded by them and, you know. Right. Yeah. They're the founders, really. It's just unfortunate that they now are so big and the idea now is big business is bad. Yeah. But without them, we might not have deliciously cold beer. Yeah. Yep. Or deliciously cold brewed beer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now in like 1843 ish, we've got the use of specific gravity for measuring beer sugar content, which was founded by Bohemian scientist Carl Bohemian. Joseph Napoleon Balling and Simon Ack. Why do I think when I when I hear Bohemian, why I think like Yaman James? Yeah, Bohemians. Yeah, what is that? Shit? Is that like Jamaican or something? No, 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 no. Bohemians. Why do uh, I think it's Jamaican? Bohemian Rhapsody. No, they come from. <laughs> <laughs> they come from the Czech Republic. Okay. Which is a former kingdom of Bohemia. Yeah. Bohemia. Yeah. So they they started with specific gravity, and then from there it moved in 1850. It moved to the Brix scale, which is founded by German Adolf Ferdinand Wenceslas Brix. Man, these guys all have such long names. I don't know like what's up with this. They've got awesome names. Back in the they day, you awesome just had to like you know, it's like that's my family name, that's my first name, that's like my generational name, that's yeah. my this name, that's the month I was that's born. my god, that's my god's name, that's my king's name. <laughs> And then followed by the Plato scale in the early 1900s, which is still used by brewers today. Um, and that was started by a guy that was a German chemist named Fritz Plato. Fun fact, he also invented Play-Doh. <laughs> no, that is not correct. <laughs> but yeah, so like I know like for home brewing, um, most home brewers use specific gravity. Right, which is which is what I initially learned on because then that's like what all homebrewers use. But then when you jump over to the actual brewing side, like when you work in the biz, everybody uses Play-Doh. Really? Like, what? Yes, exactly. It's all Play-Doh. And how much different is it? So when you start with specific gravity, then you go to bricks, then you go to Play-Doh. Um, you're just getting more decimal points, basically. So you're just getting, okay. You're getting more accuracy. Just, okay. Yeah, and that's for bulk brewing, though. Is that what that that extra decimal is for? For a compound? Yeah. If you re so we have like when you're home brewing, you'll use one hydrometer. It's specific gravity. You drop it in, and then like on like the professional side, you'll usually have multiple hydrometers, and they're in Play-Doh, and you have like a, a one that's from like one to eight. The next one goes from like seven to 16. The next one goes from like 15 to 30 or whatever it is. Like you've got those three different ranges. So you're getting as accurate as possible because you really want to be able to measure where you're starting, where you're ending up. Sure. Right. So that you know that you're hitting your alcohol contents and that you're like. To the T. Yeah. You need it, to be consistent. You need to be super consistent and you need to like stay within guidelines and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 
Damn, I didn't never knew that. I'm learning. I'm learning stuff right now. Thirsty. I, I know. Thirsty, Thirsty for all that knowledge. <laughs> and I'm absorbing it well. I'm yep. so dehydrated today. Just like, <laughs> all that knowledge is just absorbing. So this is just kind of like I got some little nuggets of little funnery, fun facts, if you will. Nice. Uh, 1829, the Ying, Yingling Brewery began mm. production in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And it is known as the oldest brewery in the United States. That is true, right? That is that is that that's real. I it's guess. the oldest currently operating brewery in the yes. United States. I think yeah. it shut down a few times and came back, but yes. I don't think it did. No. I, I think and we'll get into this when we get to Prohibition, but they were doing other stuff during Prohibition to, to stay, stay alive. alive. Yeah, yeah, okay. As we will learn with a lot of breweries. Um yeah. Yeah. Uh 1830 England passed the Beer Act, which allowed the people to purchase licenses to brew and sell uh, beer. Okay. And then uh, another interesting one, and this goes back to our bohemian culture. Mm. Yeah, uh, man. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> 1842, uh, the Pilsner was created. The style, uh, yes. the Pilsner yep. was created in Pilsen, Bohemia. Czech Republic, James, uh, by a Bavarian brewmaster. Uh, 1844, okay, James, Mm -hmm. Paps Brewing started in Milwaukee, son. Dang, PBR. Oh, that PBR. PBR. Yeah. And and they actually became the largest uh, production brewery in America at one point. They were the first one to do like... I think a million barrels a year or some shit like that. Yeah. We'll, um, so once we get to the post prohibition era of this series, we're going to dive into a little bit of like these big brands in, right. Cause we're seeing a lot of these big brands being created during the time period we're talking about now. But when we jump to today, it's crazy because those brands exist, but some of them don't even actually have breweries. They're right. just brands that are either owned by larger companies or they are um their companies that contract brew. Right. Or or they they, they get all their stuff contract brewed. It's it's insane. Yeah. Like the but way because they have the name. It's the brand. Exactly. Yes. It's, it's brand. all the brand. And you might have the old recipe, it might be an updated recipe or whatever, but I we'll talk at a decent length of like how a lot of these companies were like bought, conglomerated, moved around. And most of this stuff happens in post prohibition, um, which like kind of, uh, you know, my conspiracy theory mind was like, whoa, was prohibition started to kill the massive amounts of breweries that existed before prohibition and then just conglomerate all of them afterwards. Oh. Was Corona started to ruin all small businesses so Amazon <laughs> can get huge? Maybe, I mean, maybe Seth, this, maybe. Or was it large companies that took advantage of a situation, which is most likely what it what it is. Perhaps, perhaps. But we shall see as we as we dig deeper into history. All right, couple more nuggets before we get to uh, Louis Pasteur's uh, pasteurization process. Mm. Uh, Eighteen forty-seven, Carlsberg beer was began production in Denmark. Um, 1864, Heineken was founded in Amsterdam. Mm, mm-hmm. Heine, baby. Uh, sad day, 1865, after the Civil War, whiskey became the number one choice beverage of the American working man. 
Wow. Over beer. That's when s- stuff's already getting stressful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that light shit was not kicking it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need some harder stuff. Uh, we need pure beer. 1868, publication of the American Brewer Magazine started. Is that something that can be purchased? Is that still going to this day? Um, I'm not sure if... I don't, I'm not sure if that specific magazine, I don't know if that's still in existence. It may have become something else because I know there's currently like the Brewers Association has publications. Yeah. There's like a handful of other magazines. Obviously, the Home Brewers Association has Zimmergy and um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure of that specific one though. 1873, Bex was founded in Germany. Bex, a lot of, is Bex Green, Bear, Green Bottle too? Yeah. yeah. Bex and Heineken, both yeah. Green Bottles. Yeah. Uh, just, Dumb. just a, just a disclaimer. Those nuggets were uh, of of funnery were uh, pulled from the uh, alcoholproblemsandsolutions.org dot ah. org uh, website. A <laughs> mm. uh, lot of good information there. Nice. All right. Nice. So I'm caught up to Louis Pasteur. Seth, yeah. you want to take quick, it? I got a quick question before we start this. Yeah, definitely. Okay. You know when you you distill wine and you make into liquor and it's grappa. Yeah. What if you were to boil down beer, make into a liquor, and then add the other wort, f- the byproduct from that, back into it to cut it down? Would that be like liquor beer? Would that be that wouldn't be whiskey because whiskey's made out of corn. This is made out of barley. What is that? What if you were to, d- to distill beer? Yep, and, and then, like make and then a- to make it into a strong liquor, and then water it back down with the wort that you distilled from it. Why? Yeah. What is that? What would that be called? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. If Delete a- this part of the podcast so no one steals our idea. <laughs> well, <laughs> there is um, something to distilling beer back, um, you know, in modern times. And once we get to our like craft brewery modern times part of this, there was this, these arms races that were happening for like, oh, what's the hoppiest beer that you can make? What's the highest ABV beer you can make? And there was this whole thing where like, um, with trying to get the highest ABV beer, different you know guys were like using these weird distillation tricks to make a higher ABV quote beer. Right. In other places, we're trying to do it through actual fermentations, right? Which is harder to do because at a certain point, your yeast like when there's so much alcohol in there, your right. yeast just can't. They you can't. Need to make, they can't survive. You need to create a new yeast, right? Yeah. In yeah. A way. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that. Um, but beer liquor, we're going to start it. <laughs> it's called the blicker brought to you by TFK. <laughs> this is brought to you by blick. This is from blicker <laughs> beer liquor. Put a little shot of vodka in your beer. You go to work, come back blicker. <laughs> get blickered tonight. <laughs> we're all getting blickered. We're getting blicked up, yo. <laughs> Don't leave the house with a nice can of blicker. I'm sure Louis Pasteur was getting blickered when he was coming up with these crazy uh, (laughs) processes. So um, in 1856, French scientist Louis Pasteur expands on Theodore Schwann's work, the guy we talked about earlier, and confirms fermentation is caused by microorganisms. This is important for discrediting spontaneous generation in promoting his idea of germ theory. So up until this point, there was this whole like, you know, spontaneous uh, generation 
thing where like things are just kind of happen. Yeah. I remember like in, I want to say like fourth or fifth grade when they're teaching you the history of spontaneous generation, they're like, that would be like if a needle actually came out of a haystack or, you know, like these like weird things like, uh, oh, um, if you have like rotting meat on the counter, a fly will come out of it because the right. fly was like spontaneous because flies go to the rotting meat. Like they didn't put, right, the, right, they right. Didn't put that together. They thought that things could spawn from, you know, uh, yeah. And also they didn't, they didn't know about like bacteria and germs and microorganisms and stuff like that. So that obviously this was huge and this like changed the world. And this was one of Fuck like yeah. the major like scientific billions of lives. It's like yeah. the beginning of like epidemiology and like studying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All that shit and germs and outbreaks. Yeah. And fucking. Yeah, man. It's crazy. So Louis Pasteur does that. Like that's just a little thing that he's doing on the side right. while he's also helping winemakers in France solve problems of their wine going bad. So, um, he comes up with this process of pasteurization where they raise the temperature of the wine to 120 degrees to kill the bad bacteria without like harming the, kill the bad magic. Yeah, exactly. Kill the bad magic without, you know, compromising the flavor of their wine. And to be clear, it's not, they're not sanitizing it. Like they're not killing off everything, right? They're just sort of, um, Reducing the amount of like spoilage bacteria from being able to replicate. Yeah, I mean at that at like at that specific temperature, you're probably you're killing off like a lot. You're killing off your actual yeast too, you know. So this would right, be right. That's true. So I, I'm not quite sure, and I will have to look into this. Uh, there was a lot of research that had to go into this episode, so um, I wasn't able to dig like super far down, but. I would imagine that that pasteurization process could happen before or after you are pitching your yeast. So you would get your grape, you know, get your the grape. The best thing would be before, you'd right? You'd get your grape Pitch juice, it. then you'd pasteurize that grape juice, then you'd put your yeast in. But I think I don't, you would do it after, wouldn't it? Well, here's the thing. You can also do it after because like once your primary fermentation completes and all the good yeast have done their thing, right? then you do it. But then you are compromising your flavor a little bit. But I don't think – so we'll be getting to this very shortly. But at the same time, like yeast strains were being like cultivated and developed. So once that happens – now you can pasteurize before you pitch your yeast. Then when you pitch your yeast, now you know the only thing that's in there. Oh, right, right. Exactly. Okay. But up until that point, they didn't have like companies that were harvesting yeast and making pure yeast strains. Right. Everything was pretty much a mixed bag. Yeah. Like there was always wild bacteria that was in there and that like they didn't know that. So like refrigeration, they thought like, oh, the beer is getting bad because it's getting warm. Like, why is that happening? They didn't know that it was because um, there's all these other wild bacteria and stuff that was in there that was doing its thing, but it happens slowly over time. Right. And that's why the beer was going bad. But if you just keep it cold, that staves off that bacteria. Yeah. Or at least, you know, a little bit. Now, the, the, the pasteurization process of beer happened uh, – Approximately 22 years before they started pasteurizing milk. After. So, before. 
Before. Yeah, this was before milk was pasteurized. Everyone was just drinking warm milk from the counter (laughs) of their sweaty cabins. So, suck it milk. Fucking beer had pasteurization first. Yeah. So, um, what a rough life that must have been. Everything must have sucked. You're just sweaty all day, drinking warm garbage <laughs> juice, and then hopefully your kids don't die from poisoning garbage juice that oh. you drank for breakfast. Yeah. Damn. I don't yeah. think they were eating fucking cornflakes at that time. No. They weren't staving off the masturbation with the cornflakes. <laughs> right, yeah, no. yeah. They didn't know. The, they didn't know. The, they were all just vigorously jerking off because they didn't have the cure yet. They didn't have the cure, which is cornflakes. Corn Thank you, Doctor Kellogg. I start eating cornflakes again. Man, what episode I'm was habitual. that? <laughs> I need go some back, corn. Go back and listen to all our episodes and tell us which one that's from. Yeah, and then let us know, hedge hedge douche. Let us know. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, oh. so um, later on, uh, as Ham was saying, um, you know, Pasteur is also helping out the brewing industry, right? So um, he wanted to help the French brewing industry stay competitive with Germany. So he did some studies on beer and he found that yeast metabolizes glucose in an aerobic environment and reproduces. And when it's in an anaerobic environment, it ferments. And this is known as the Pasteur effect. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking Louis. Yeah. So one thing that you'll see like in breweries, what they'll do is at the beginning of the process, they're pumping oxygen in before they into their wort, you know, their sugar, their malt sugar water before they pitch their yeast so that in the beginning, those yeast cells are going crazy. They're eating that oxygen, they're reproducing, they're multiplying and they're, they're creating a bunch of other yeast cells and as they're doing that since you're fermenting like modernly in most cases you're in unless you're doing like wild stuff you're in a closed vessel so as the yeast are um reproducing and everything they're as a byproduct producing co2 so now all that oxygen is getting eaten up and now you're producing a bunch of CO2. So now you're in a CO2 environment and now you're, um, the actual fermentation is starting to happen where you're producing your alcohol. Yeah, it's craziness, man. It's craziness. It's a lot of information. Yep. That's cool though. Yeah. And then, that's like like with when homebrewers when they fucking aerate their wart before they pitch cheese. Exactly. You want to get that oxygen in there. And then but after that though, you don't you want the seal oxygen it all in. off. You want to seal it up. You want to keep it in a CO2 environment. Obviously the yeast finish up doing all their stuff, but oxygen after the fact can um, affect your beer quality negatively. Right. Because, you know, Hops don't really like oxygen for their flavor compounds to survive. Oxygen breaks down things, doesn't Ex- exactly. it? So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You want to cut the oxygen off. Like if you have meat, you want to vacuum seal that, get all the air out of it mm-hmm. so it doesn't break down as fast. Yep. Oxygen breaks things down. So take the oxygen out, boom, store it a little longer. Right? Exactly. Makes sense, right? Mm. It makes sense. So at that same time, do you have any more notes on Pasteur? I mean, he did a lot of stuff, but this was like mostly stuff that was related to, yeah, um, you know, the the brewing world. Anyways, uh, I only have a, a note. I have a, an 1883 note. Which... Okay, before we get to 1883, at this same year, 
where Pasteur is helping the brewing industry, there's this German chemist, John Ewald Siebel, who founds the Siebel Institute of Technology in Chicago, which is the oldest brew school in the U.S. and is still in operation today. Oh, cool. So I first heard about Siebel. um, Brew school. Yeah, so there's schools obviously where you can learn to brew and you know technical schools and everything. And now some even universities and colleges are they're jumping you know, on board. They're jumping on board, yep. Um, but Siebel, like they'll put out like different kits and things that you can buy to like learn off flavors and that kind of stuff. So um, we had bought this whole Siebel test uh, at the the company that I used to work for, and you basically uh, you take like a, a neutral beer, like some, like a light lager. And then you dose it with all these different off flavor samples so that you can learn and train oh. yourself like, oh, what does diacetyl taste and smell like? What does a light struck beer taste like? What is, you know, and That's so on cool. and so forth. So that, I remember that shit. Yeah. So that you, you taste it side by side with a control beer and, and, and smell it and everything so that you can learn what, you know, those bad things are. And then if you detect that in your beer that you're making, then you can figure out like, oh, there's certain things that cause these off flavors. So how do I, you know, so you address the, the process. Yeah, exactly. And figure out like, Oh, where's it going bad? What happened? That's pretty cool. Yeah. We should do that. We got to get that. I looked into it. I remember looking into it. It's a little pricey. I mean, the the thing with that too, like droppers, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you were doing the, like the Cicerone thing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of those off flavors that aren't as common, like because processes are so like dialed in at this point. I mean, that really depends on the brewery that you work for and how knowledgeable they are about this kind of stuff. But a lot of modern practices have kind of like sussed out some of the weirder off flavors. More common ones are like DMS and diacetyl and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, diacetyl being like that buttered popcorn flavor that, that you'll get. Obscure reference. Do you remember Napoleon Dynamite when he was the milk taster? And he takes a sip of the milk. He's like, the off flavor is bleach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just put bleach in the milk. Like, it's <laughs> a fucked up test, man. And they must have been trying to get it white, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, the off flavor is bleach. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Yeah. Gosh. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So I've got a couple more things in the 1870s. Uh, and then we can get to Ham's um, 1880s. So uh, there was this guy, Lorenz Adelbert Isinger of Worms, Germany. And he did two really cool things. The first thing he did was file a patent for a filtration device for beer. So when, and not everybody does this, but you can filter your beer to improve your clarity and then to also filter out bacteria and like any yeast and any like sediment and things that will be left behind or things that could, you know, um, you know, uh, cause your beer not to be as shelf stable and all that stuff. Does it have anything to do with like clearing it too? Like being less cloudy? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, fil- filtration can can do that, and it depends on like the level of filtration you know that you're using. Like unfiltered beers were like hot, like 
couple years ago, right? It, yeah, it's a mar- a lot of stuff like a lot of these things you hear. It's like it's marketing. <laughs> it's like oh, it's unfiltered. Like we unfiltered. Yeah, I mean, who like who cares if it's filtered <laughs> or not? Like, but but there's the whole haze craze thing. Like, yeah, um, yeah, it's weird, man. It's 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 really weird. A lot of stuff is marketing because it's a business and because it's a big business. So the second cool thing that Lawrence Adalbert Isinger of Worms, Germany did was in 1880, he got another patent for a machine that uses CO2 instead of air for dispensing beer. Draft lines? So um, uh, essentially- or like a, that, an, up, that, an upgraded draft it's line. Like an, it's an upgrade, right? So they, for whatever reason, they must have found, they must have found out that Obviously, based off of Pasteur and, and all his work that he did in the aerobic and anaerobic, they found out that when you're adding air to beer, that it's causing different things to happen with different spoilage bacteria and that kind of thing. And then also, as James was saying, oxygen breaks down things. Right. So when you're pushing with CO2, you're not affecting the beer. So like if you think about like our modern draft systems, like everybody's got a hookup to CO2 and you're using that to push your beer out of your beer faucet rather than using air. Right. And I think last on uh, history beer part four, we had, there was a a little piece of that where we introduced the idea or the start of like draft lines and bars, right? Yeah. And the the whole beer engine thing. Yeah. The beer engine. The beer engine. Yeah. You know what's crazy? I feel like all the crazy, cool things were already thought of. And now if like you think of some crazy, cool thing that someone will think about down the road, be like, that was such a good idea. It would have to be some sort of like multiple dimension bullshit. Like you can't think Wait, of- you think a, we've peaked already? I will, oh, we totally <laughs> peaked. We totally peaked. The next level is like, you're either making deals with robots or, <laughs> you know- you're going making deals with aliens. You can choose. Like, there's no, there's no, there's no more technology. There's no. Think about this. Mechanical technology is over. You can't think of anything mechanically. It's that'll so be like revolution just getting improved upon. I, the one thing that I've been thinking of is the toilet. The toilet is so generic and basic. It all works from gravity. You put water in the top, it comes down the bottom and flushes all the old stuff down. Everything is gravity fed. That is going to be the ticket for the new technology is plumbing because it's the most basic general thing. But it works so well. I don't know. Dude, sometimes the simplest thing is the best thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, we need Jack Black in here and we need to do. Um, what is it? Vaporize. Oh, you have God. Vaporize out. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Where you poop, and then there's, listen to this, there's f- there's four laser beams going this way, there's four laser beams going this way. It's like a fence, yeah. checkerboard. You poop through it and just vaporizes your poop as it drops. There you go. That smoke gets sucked back through a thing, turns into energy. So you're talking your house. waterless toilets. Waterless toilets, yeah. vaporizes your shit as you poop, just... Make sure your dogs what don't drink your, the water. What about your pee? Same thing. Same just, thing, yeah. It just, it just steams. It vaporizes it everything. vaporizes everything. Yeah. So there's no water in the toilet But there's a bowl. little fan that sucks the vapor out, turns yeah. to water, recycles through your house. You drink that. Yeah. You drink your pee, you yeah. drink your poop, boom, baby. Yeah. But even if I like get blacked out and I vomit in my toilet- It vaporizes. vaporizes. Yeah. All the water goes into your plumbing, all yeah. the solids turn into ash, then 
that ash is used to compress into little bricks yep. and then burns for heat for your house. Yeah, but, so what if the cops bust into my house and I got to dump my whole heroin stash? Vaporize. Vaporize, and then you breathe in those vapors, you get super high, and they're like, listen, man, I don't know what you're here for, bro. I know it's got chill, dog. <laughs> it's called the vaporize. Yes. So Sorry. We've got- Tangent. Um, yeah, tangents are good. Now, um, there's this guy. He's Danish. All right? He is totally Danish. <laughs> he's totally Danish. And he's a botanist. And his name is Emil Christian Hansen, or Hansen, probably. Oh. And he gets a job as as the head of the lab at Carlsberg Brewing. And he goes on to classify brewer's yeast into two categories, ale strains, which are top fermenting, and lager strains, which are bottom fermenting. This guy was a fucking G, man. Yes. He, he, like, this, if this isn't the most important thing in, like, brewery, brewing it's practices. Bi- it's, a, it's a big one. It's a big one. So he then goes on to mandate that brewer's yeast must be free from bacteria and wild yeast strains and develops a technique for cultivating pure yeast strains from a single cell in 1890. Yes. Yes. He can isolate. We we have the tools to isolate specific yeast strains. Exactly. So, you know, now we've got refrigeration. We know the difference between ale and lager yeast strains. We can isolate yeast strains. It's all leading up to, you know, loggers being like the most ma- – and also on top of that, we've got the technology to malt our pale malts in a more consistent rate, which are lighter. They're less smoky. They're less roasted. Right. They're easier on the palate, that kind of stuff. Um, it's all leading – and I, it was crazy like how I'm, I'm, I'm reading all this stuff and I'm like, wow, this is just like – all great for loggers. <laughs> like, and I could yeah. see how we we tended towards like these easier drinking, lighter beers that now we have the abilities to mass produce and you know give to the people, and then it becomes the, like you like, know this is logger technology. This yeah. whole decade or yeah. like century was logger technology. Yeah, in the it's making. In, it's insane, man. Um, and around this same time, there was another great invention. That has nothing to do with the beer brewing process, but has everything to do with how we put our beers on our table. Yes. And that is the beer coaster was invented during this Germany. Germany did it, right? Yes. Why did they invent the coaster? So they were originally known as beer mats. Okay. And that's like they would would serve you your glass of beer on a beer mat. For prevention of spillage or for prevention of the ring? I would think prevention of the ring. Oh, they don't want to ruin yeah. their tables? Yeah. It was made from wood pulp. originally made from cardboard, and then years later, it was made from wood pulp. Yeah. yeah. And that's like the, the modern coasters kind of that we know today. Wait, so they originally were made from cardboard? Mm-hmm. What's ca- Wait, so they knew what cardboard was? They like They like made cardboard- I don't know what cardboard is, and it's like paper I don't, pressed together. I don't know, man. Jesus All right, so Christ! The, I think of cardboard like those brown boxes. In the QC well, of this uh, episode, yes. we'll be going over the history of cardboard. <laughs> oh my god! 
<laughs> I'm assuming it's like it's pressed wood pulp. Probably. Yeah. Dried. Probably, yeah. And yeah. then made into yeah. whatever fabric or spot they want to yeah. put the beer or anything else out of, right? Yeah. At this same time mm. of the coaster being invented, another uh, piece was invented that uh, is still used today in modern times. In Baltimore, the crown cap was invented. Oh, dude, that's a huge one. You know what I was going to ask? I thought the bottle opener, when is that? You know, I was going to, I thought that was going to. came first? The bottle cap or the bottle opener? Exactly. <laughs> did they put that shit on and they'd be like, oh, fuck, how do we like, get this off? It had to have been. It had to have been. It's not like, let's invent this tool before we invent the no, thing. I, I had to invent that. I think they were using Bic lighters to pop yeah, it off. They're, okay, yeah. but, no, they're using just corners of tables. Yeah. Just smash. Now, did they get that Bic lighter out of Kurt Cobain's pocket, though? It wasn't white. And was it white? I think it was. <laughs> Definitely white. According Definitely. to my sources, yes, they for say sure. yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. So many questions. We're tying every episode of our podcast into this episode, Welcome. guys. Welcome. Josh Cotier, fishing. <laughs> <laughs> this is for our one super fan, Hedge Douche, who's out there. Thank, thank you, Hedge Douche. Thank you, sir. Very nice comment. Okay. Um I've got one more uh, fact in our timeline here before we move on to uh, our like notable styles and brands. And that is the company, and I didn't look up how to pronounce this one, but I've seen it written a million times, Lalamond. Okay, they are a yeast manufacturer that was founded in Montreal, Quebec. And they basically, um, in 1915, were founded and they make... Um, they cultivate different yeast strains and mass produce and package them to sell to breweries and home brewers and all that stuff. And they're like, I, I didn't realize that they were this old of a company, but 1915. Damn, like, we already there. They're probably used in every brewery at least in the United States, probably, or, or just thereabout. Like if you go to your local home brew shop, you're going to see you know, little packets of Lalamond yeast, all different kinds yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, the yeah. little, like, gray with the purple writing. They'll, right? Yeah, their wine yeast comes in packets that yeah. look like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. surprised you guys haven't mentioned this. This is only burned in my brain because my dad, he's yeah. a huge uh, bottling guy. He yeah. likes to find old bottles. 1905 is when the automatic bottle machine was invented. Oh, damn. So before that, they were hand-blowing all the bottles for the beer. I wow, that is a good fun fact. Yeah, I did so not. So in 1905, that. the machine to make glass bottles was invented. Wow, yeah. that's gnarly. Yep, I remember so I that all, from all uh, those pre. I have like, 1903. Yeah, I mean, okay, that was right. off. That was off the cuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's like, pretty good. Cool. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know who's. You could be right. I could be right. Who knows? Yeah, that was just off. In that's that what era. my dad said. You know? yeah. I mean, fives and tens are rounded. You know, yeah. so 1903. But yeah, man, that's fucking crazy. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I got a lot of bottles, beer bottles. They're all hand blown at my at my old house when I was a kid. My dad has them all now. That I got would old. Take so long. I got like old yeah. necks that are like bent like this. They're all hand blown. They're mm-hmm. beer bottles, you know. So you get, and every single bottle is different. Is you know, it's crazy. Yeah. So the nine nineteen oh five. You can tell. If you ever look up this, if you ever look at a beer bottle, right, you'll find this seam across it. Oh yeah. And wherever the seam ends, if it goes all the way to the top, that means an automatic beer beer machine made it. If it just ends right at the 
where your lips touch, yep. that means it was hand blown and pressed on. And if it's below that, that means it was hand blown. And then before that, there used to be a glass stem on the bottom. And those are called, oh, I forgot what they're called. They're called, hold on, I got this. I forgot. But <laughs> it'll if, be in the QC. If you look in the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the bottle, there's a break in it. That means they blew it with a glass rod, yep. and then they had to break the stem, yep. and then the bottom. And those are the old, old ones, That's like pirate crazy. chip stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My dad's an expert on bottles, but 1903? 1905? 1903. Yeah, it's Automatic yeah. beer machine was built. Fucking A, man. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, lot of beer technology. A lot of beer there. technology. It's pretty exciting. I don't know. It, it I, is, I yeah. I think it's pretty neat. This was a, a very fascinating uh, century of, of the history of beer. It really is. Yeah. So, Ham, you have any other notes before I get into some style stuff here? Uh, what timeline are we in? What are we up to? We're we're right. So, I wanted to save like the pre-pro. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuff for okay. The end. Yeah. Um. Uh. Let's let's just say. Oh. Um. Uh. Nineteen oh three. Same year as the first first fully automated bottle making machine. Uh. uh Ching Tao Brewery was formed. Yep. Uh, by German brewers. Um. 1909, fucking Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt himself fucking went on a safari in Africa and he brought 500 gallons of beer with him on a Damn. safari. Damn. Damn. 500 gallons? I want to be on that party, man. 105 how long did you go on the safari? <laughs> it's like a full year safari. He's like, listen, if we're going to be gone for a year, I need like at least a, even a year. That means he's drinking what? Like a five-gallon keg a day plus well, his I mean, friends can have the scraps? Right. right. <laughs> Which is another like about almost like 25 beers. He must have had a crew, right? And he was oh, probably he sharing it with the locals and stuff. You oh, know, yeah. he, was, he was a good guy. He was fucking right? great, man. He's I our, mean, 500 gallons is only 10 barrels, right? Uh, ish. Aren't they like 55 gallon, a, 60? A barrel is approximately 31 gallons. Okay. So he brought like, what? Th 15, 18 barrels? Yeah. That's not crazy. If he was, if he was there for it's like- It's still a lot of beer though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends on how long. If, he, if we find out he was there for like, like a week, then that's ridiculous. <laughs> but if he was there for like four months, yeah, he's got a whole crew of- friends plus homies plus his local homies yeah he was like wade boggs though on the plane he's oh, like yeah. drinking <laughs> Drink like 75 beers right? yeah. <laughs> the wade boggs challenge teddy roosevelt the original wade boggs <laughs> exactly. you think he ate a chicken too probably a whole chicken probably um so uh we're gonna go notable styles and yeah the rest I have is all like pre-prohibition stuff, like gearing up for prohibition. Yeah, exactly. Um, now you'd already mentioned the Pilsner beer, right? Yep. Um, yeah. So Pilsner Kell was founded by Josef Grohl, known as the father of pills. Um, Pilsners, which are a lager. Um, it's my least favorite style. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they will Pilsners will go on to make up almost two thirds of modern beer production which is wow. wild. Um, 
we obviously started this podcast talking about Abbey and Trappist beers. And in 1856, the strong brown ale brewed by Trappist Abbey in Westmel in France um, would become known as the double. That was the, the, the start of the double. Oh, snap. And then okay. later on, um, Westmel would make the triple. Oh, man, a good double. Oh, man. So another style we've got, which is coming out of the U.S., is All the right. steam beer or the California yes. common beer, yes. which was made by Anchor Steam Brewing. Now, what a steam Damn, beer when is. when was that? I don't have the date on it in front it's of me. It's got to be the 1900s though, right? Yeah. Um, or Anchor Steam, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. So steam beers, uh, what the whole thing behind that was, was they were brewing lagers, but they didn't have refrigeration. So they're essentially brewing lager beer lager beers at ale fermentation temperatures okay and you know anchor has since gone on to copyright the name steam for that beer style so any any like modern american brewery that's making a steam beer can't refer to it as a steam beer so that hot air gas beer <laughs> no it, 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 it's <laughs> <laughs> it's known as a california common for everybody else okay um in 1906, in Sooner Brewery out of Cologne, Germany, they came up with the style of Kolsch. Mm. Ooh, yes. good one. Which I is love a good Kolsch, man. Solid style. Now, um, now I'll do the big one. And we all know what the big one is because it's the you know biggest craft beer style sure. in production today. And that's the IPA. All right. Is, did it really start around this time? The IPA, its origins can be traced back to the late 1700s, early 1800s. Okay. And now there was this big story that I had heard about the origin of the IPA. And, and many people have probably heard about the origin IPA who have like kind of looked into it, right? And that story is that at some point in the late 1700s, early 1800s, a lighter in color higher alcohol, heavily hopped beer was created to be preserved on the trip from England to India. Yes, I've heard this. Because at the time, there was English soldier, India was occupied by England and all this stuff. So um, they had to, they found out that adding a bunch of hops to the beer would uh, help preserve it over the long voyage to India. Yeah. And that sounds very plausible because we know that hops are a preservative and all that jazz. <clears throat> and I did a little bit of digging on this because I was like looking up what are the origins of the IPA? Like what is like why, you know, what, what, why is India Pale Ale? Like what's the whole deal? So I was, I was looking into this and it found that it's not necessarily true um, because there were a variety of beers that were being consumed in India that weren't IPAs and they made the voyage safely without being spoiled. If you think about it, porters, stouts, these darker styles, they actually last a little bit longer as far as like the, if they have hops in them, they have preservative. But at this time, like it's, it's not like we had, um, all the yeast stuff that doesn't come out until later, like all the refrigeration and all that stuff that hasn't, that hasn't happened yet. 
like these beers are all kind of in the same boat as far as preservation goes. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's like if you get it over there, like they're all going to kind of like age out, you know, depending on the trip and the heat and the conditions. They all have wild yeasts in there, too. Right. You know, so it's like it, it was just this thing. It was like this myth that was like perpetuated throughout time. And it was a cool story. And it was something that helped like build the mysterious like origins of the India Pale Ale, like and, and bring it to the forefront. So um I think it was just kind of a coincidence that around the time that beer was being shipped there, pale ales were being made and they were, they were, they were pretty popular or whatever. Um, but the first documented use of the term India pale ale was for, at least from what I could find, was in an advertisement from January 30th, 1835. And it was for Hodgson's East India pale ale. And at the time, um, most pale ales that were um, being shipped to India weren't referred to as India pale ale. They were referred to as pale ale as prepared for India. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Damn. When I, when I was like 21, 22, I used to go to the store see an IPA, know that it was India Pale Ale, but think Native American Indian Pale oh my Ale. God. And I thought it was Indian Pale Ale. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, it was because it was Native American. Yeah. <laughs> Took me a while to lose that thought. It's, it's crazy because, like, I remember, you know, being a young craft beer drinker and, like, first seeing, like, oh, IPA, India Pale Ale. Like, because at the time when I was starting to drink craft beers, most of them were referred to as India Pale Ales. Like it was just on the cusp of seeing that abbreviation IPA. Like now, like the India Pale Ale, like it's it's not really in existence anymore. It's basically right. IPA. Oh, right. that's interesting. Or NEPA, New England IPA. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or you know, whatever else. other version of IPA there is. You know? That's interesting because when – I think you're right because when when we were kind of in the beginning of this – when I was purchasing a beer brand, like whatever it was, like they they made it a point to to separate it and say this is an India Pale Ale, yeah, like to really highlight the mm-hmm. fact that it's a separate flavor <clears throat> or style, yeah. Weird. And okay. At the time, I remember thinking like, oh, like was this a style that act, like was developed in India? Right. Like was it like you know? But no, no. And then you hear that story about it being like, oh, they were the long voyage from English to, you know, England to India. And then they had to add a bunch of hops to preserve it and all this stuff and everything. And that's all kind of like bullshit. I think it was just like a, a, a telephone game and a myth thing and like a, just building. Maybe it was something that was put out by people that were trying to build the brand of the IPA. Maybe they, they had an India Pale Ale that they made and they were like, oh, let's get this cool marketing behind it and just like make this story. And then over time, it just gets perpetuated. But here's here, and maybe like maybe maybe beers like just regular pale ales or just regular ales mm-hmm. who have a little bit of a lighter hop profile in them. Yeah. <clears throat> maybe they did not survive the trip. Maybe, maybe their flavors were a little bit more oxidized and a little bit more off and they weren't necessarily holding their true flavors. Whereas like 
Well, your, dude, but you got to think about your porters and stouts and everything. You got to think about the time period, though, dude. They, this was before refrigeration. This was yeah. before separation of yeast strains. They had all like yeah. this is before like and so all of that modern science that we just talked about that was right. being developed. This is all before that happened. So we know today if you heavily hop the shit out of a beer and then there's the presence of oxygen, it last, right? It doesn't last at so all. So it wouldn't even matter. Right and, now. But it depends on what you're ter- talking about in terms of preservation. Are you talking about preservation in terms of like your actual preserving of flavor or preserving of like, oh, this has gone bad because there's bad bacteria right. in it and right. all that shit? Now we do know that hop, like lactobacillus is very like sensitive to hop compounds, so like they really can't survive as much in heavily hopped things. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a chance that maybe there was a coincidence of like all right in these beers that have more hops and the lacto can't like survive, but there was definitely other yeast strains in there. There had oh, to yeah. the quality control. They didn't know about germ theory. You know what I mean? <laughs> like. <laughs> It's crazy. Like, I really do think that the whole story, that like fun, uh, you know, story about the origin of the IPA is actually kind of bullshit. Yeah. Like when you really, really think about it. India pale ale. Makes sense, man. I also think. Coming from a brewer. (laughs) I also think that I probably wouldn't have enjoyed a lot of the beers that were being brewed at the time. Hell no. I know you wouldn't. I know I wouldn't. I'd be like, what are we drinking, mud? Fuck this shit. (laughs) Give me some some whiskey. Exactly. Why do you think whiskey was number one back then? Because it was delicious. Because alcohol tastes like alcohol no matter what time it's been brewed in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to make it a point from now on. Yeah. I'm dropping the abbreviation. I'm going, I'm going to sound the whole fucking thing out. You're bringing- Indian Pale Ale. I'm going to go to a bar. I'm going to go, excuse me, barkeep. <laughs> May I get one Indian? Fun fact about this beer. Oh He's like, listen, sir, I got plenty. Of- listen, before I, before you leave, sir, fun fact, history check. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, here we go, motherfucker. This you just, guy you, again. This you're, guy. you're a regular and you just say the same thing to the bartender yeah. every single time. Can you tell the attire I'm wearing? <laughs> that I'm from the time. So um, there was a lot of beer brands uh, that were established during this time. A lot. Um, I, I have a little list that I'm just going to roll through real quick. I'm not going to say years or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know you've mentioned some of them, but I'm just going to roll right through it. Sure. Um, in no particular order. And there was mu- many more that I'm about to mention, but these are some some big notable ones. Before what time, though? Before, so we can get a generalization. This is all 1800s to <laughs> 1920s. <laughs> okay, yep. go. So we've got Pabst, Rolling Rock, Labatt, Miller, Anheuser-Busch, Coors, Heineken, Genesee, Foster's, that's Australian for beer, South (laughs) African breweries known as Sab, Anchor Brewing, Moosehead, Carlsberg, Leinenkugel, Beck, Sapporo, Kieran, Dos Equis, Yingling, P. Ballantyne and Sons Brewing Company. Ballantyne? Yep. All these beers are 100 years old. All those brands or beers were at least 100 years old. I can exactly. go to the gas station down the street. And get most of those beers. And get most of those beers. Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy, right? Landon Kugel? 
I thought I didn't know they were that Miller, old. Yeah, Fosters, yeah. Coors, and we're gonna like it, the weird thing is when we get to our like post prohibition conglomeration stuff. Yeah, you're gonna learn a lot about these brand like already. Just like, <laughs> can you know, we also get a side note of a guy who is just affluent in conspiracy theory so he can feed us his information? Like, you know, the reason why they did this is because of this and that. Yeah, I want to, yeah, we need, <laughs> we need to find conspiracy theory business. beer enthusiast. Yes. <laughs> I got a whole handful of lists right yeah. here. So, um, there's two things that I want to hit before we wrap this up. Yeah. First thing is just a quick recap of the production of beer and how many breweries there were during this time period. Um, and that's going to lead into the next thing that I want to talk about. So in 1810, at the start of all of this, in the U.S., there were 132 breweries producing 185,000 barrels of beer a year. Fast forward 1850, we've got 431 breweries producing 750,000 barrels a year. Shitload. Ten years later... There's more than double the amount of breweries, 1,269, and 25% of those beers are lagers. 1873, we hit the peak, 4,131 breweries in the U.S., producing 9 million barrels. That's a shitload. Yeah. 9 million barrels annually? 9 million barrels collectively between the 4,131 breweries. breweries. What was the date on that? 1873, 4,131 breweries in the U.S. producing 9 million barrels of beer a year. Fast forward, 1919, 669 breweries in the U.S. One year later, 1920, zero breweries in the United States of America. Whoa. Fuck. How can you go from boom to nothing? Four thousand in a matter of less than fifty years, you go from four thousand one hundred and thirty-one breweries to zero, and that leads us to our next. Dude, that is just an automatic to be like, you want to make a shitload of money, make some alcohol, right? Yeah. Hence prohibition. Yep. And that that's the next episode, man. And so during this time period that we were just talking about when there were all these major developments, all these major players and big businesses and science and like real shit happening with beer. At the same time, we've got the temperance movement that is brewing. It's a bunch of bitches. <laughs> and, and, and we will start the prohibition episode, obviously, with the temperance movement and the pre-pro stuff yeah. that was happening a little yeah. bit during this time period. And we're going to do a multi-part big history of beer episode on prohibition i'm dressing up i said the first episode prohibition (laughs) i'm getting a gangster suit i'm getting everything i've been saving up for years i got ten thousand dollars i'm gonna get the most ballers prohibition suit ever and we're gonna be doing this yeah can't wait i I have a pinstripe suit i'm gonna put on i'm gonna buy one too this is hopefully from macy's 75 percent off (laughs) (laughs) yeah so since episode one of thirst for knowledge podcast um we've been we've been working up to doing an episode on prohibition i don't know what it is but it's it's fascinating as hell and we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time and a lot of work on on the prohibition episode so if you haven't already go back listen to all the other history of beers and then later this year we will be starting the history of beer part six 
part one <laughs> That's right. of prohibition and you know we'll go down all all the craziness that ensued um you know in in the early 1900s here in the united states beer, beer, beer. are more smarter <laughs> i am way more are smarter whoa all that knowledge <laughs> okay so um we're doing the outro to the history of beer part five guys okay because we just did the episode the history of beer part five okay of course we did and as normal of this part of the podcast there's a little qc that happens so um i've got some fun facts more fun facts on top of fun facts to answer some of the questions that we asked ourselves during this episode. Pour them out, pour them out. We're going to start with the Cistercian monks. Weird. Yeah, yes. I know. Just how we started this podcast. So um, Trappist breweries and like w- their origin, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but we didn't talk about the Cistercian monks. So I just wanted to give a little definition of what they are. Straight from their website, because yeah, they got a website. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the order of the Cistercian, the order of Cistercians of the strict observance, also known as Trappists, is a Roman Catholic contemplative religious order consisting of monasteries of monks and monasteries of nuns. They are a part of the larger Cistercian family, which traces its origin to 1098 A.D. As Cistercians, they follow the rule of St. Benedict and so are part of the Benedictine family as well. So they also made Eggs Benny? Was that like their whole thing? I believe that's how they started, yes. Exactly. So American Brewer Magazine, um, you asked if they were still in existence today. I did, yes. During the podcast. They are not, uh, as far as I could find. But there was a new American Brewer magazine that was started in the 1980s, and they just stopped publishing new issues as of 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it, it, <clears throat> I kind of looked at their website a little bit, and their um, their art was pretty cool. It was kind of like in the form of a comic book a little bit, the way it was set up. But they were it was all people made up of like the current brewing industry and that kind of stuff. Um, next thing, James came up with his Blicker, that distilled beer that he was talking about. Blicker, that's right, Blicker. So I was looking that up to see if it's already a thing. And there are people that are distilling beer. And there hasn't really been like a strict definition of what it's called. Some just call it straight whiskey. Others call it beer schnapps. Mm. And some people just call it distilled beer. <laughs> no one's calling it Blicker. No one's calling it Blicker yet. Gotta, gotta, gotta trademark, that, trademark that shit. Exactly. 
Um, we talked about spontaneous generation a little bit and how our buddy Louis Pasteur put the kibosh on that. And I just wanted to give a straight up definition of spontaneous generation because I kind of flubbed it a little bit in the episode. I talked about it like, oh, you, it's where you could have like a needle come out of a haystack or whatever. That's not quite right. It would be more like if a mouse came out of a haystack and you thought that that haystack spawned the mice because spontaneous generation is the theory um, held that living creatures could arise from non-living matter and mm. that such processes were commonplace and regular. I see. Yeah. Um, and this next one, we said that we were going to make the QC of this episode all about how cardboard boxes are made. <laughs> and I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you what nope. a cardboard box is made out of. And it's basically made up of flute which is made up of recycled paper. It's sandwiched between two liners. It's very common for the liners to also be made up of considerable proportion of recycled content sourced from old cardboard and other sources of secondhand paper. But it could also be, you know, um, from actual like fresh plant material and stuff. Right. Um, we've got the question of bottle openers and what came first, the bottle cap or the bottle opener. And they were both invented at the same time. Smart. Yes. But you would have to. I mean, that only makes sense. Right? <laughs> just dudes with like no teeth just go, yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, it was invented by this guy, William Painter, who, you know, invented the crown cork and also yeah. the bottle opener. And the last bit I've got is steam beer. Steam. It was first brewed in 1896 by Anchor Steam Brewing. And that's all I got. <laughs> it's a good beer. Go. Yeah. It's good. All right. Yeah. Uh, before I go, I just want to give a big shout out to all our faithful listeners and to all the newbies. Check out our Facebook. Uh, like us. Uh, view us on Instagram. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. Sausage candles.